Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're New York Sports Talk Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. We are wrapping up our NFL draft coverage here. NFL draft model on the podcast has been fun. We're going to be joined by fan sites, NFL insider, Matt Verder. I'm going to recap the NFL draft. Talk about what the Jets did, the Giants did, some of the big winners and losers from the draft. All that's coming up in just a bit. Let's check out the two-minute drill at the end of the podcast. I'm going to give you my review on the new Apple docu-series, They Call Me Magic. And it's about Magic Johnson, four episodes. I watched all of them. I'll give you my take on it at the end of the show. But before we dive further into the podcast, I want to tell everybody, if you like what you're hearing on the Justin the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform and final episodes there. You can check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube, to... Check out the video versions of these chats. My video conversation with Matt's going to be up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Also, leave your feedback and star ratings as well. They'll make the podcast even better going forward. Leave those comments. Leave those star ratings. Leave some feedback. We can make the podcast great. So, please do that if you can. And without further ado, let's get into the opening tip. We're going to talk about what the Jets and the Giants are up to in the NFL draft right after this. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here. Talk about the NFL draft in here. And it was wild. There are a lot of trades, some head stretching picks that were made. A couple veterans got moved. Two of the biggest winners, though. Right here in New York, which feels like bizarre world given the last decade we have these two teams, but we'll take it. We'll start with the Giants. They had picks five and seven, but they get up at number five. This is the perfect world for the Giants. All three of the top offensive tackles on the board, Ekamakwanu, uh, Evan Neal, and Charles Cross were available. Instead of, you know, panicking, saying, you know, I got to have the absolute best tackle of the tackles. They apparently had similar grades, all three. Joe Shane says, you know what? Let me walk in my edge rusher. So they grabbed Kayvon Thibodeau, who at this point a year ago was projected to be a top pick in the draft. And he's arguably the most talented player in the group. There are definitely some questions about Thibodeau. A lot of motivations being questioned, but everything I've seen and read about him, there's this more swagger and teams just, you know, living in the past in terms of like, oh, does he care about football? He's going to do great in this market. I think he'll be excellent in New York. The Giants then land Evneal at seven because Aquano goes at six to the Panthers. They secure their bookend tackles of the future. They gave him, they have Andrew Thomas from 2020. They took a sure thing with Evneal. I know they worked out Charles Cross a lot. Charles Cross is a better pass blocker here, but he does need some work. Evan Neal is pretty much a plug and play guy without any real projection here. You have two premium young players on the offensive line. Joe Shane then traded back twice the second round, picked up more picks, which you need to do your rebuild. You need as many opportunities to land talented guys here. So good job adding extra picks. The second round pick, a little bit of reach of Wandale Robinson. But you know Brian Dale's got to use for that speed. So 
I trust the process there. They picked two more offensive linemen. They had a cornerback in the third round. They had a safety, a tight end, depth of linebacker, defensive line. Excellent start of the rebuilding process here. Get a bunch of talented young guys in the mix here. The big winner for New York, however, though, was the Jets, which is, again, bizarro world considering the history of the Jets, the draft. Joe Douglas stayed put at 4-10. and 10. He landed himself a top-notch corner in Sauce Gardner and a go-to guy for Zach Wilson with Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. They tried trade for Debo Samuel, four hours not interested. But Garrett Wilson, you know, most pro-ready receiver in the group. He's got incredible athleticism. He's a good route runner. A nice comment to Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, giving a good top three for Wilson to work with. Sauce Gardner, I mean, if you watched the Jets secondary last year, that was really bad. You had a lot of guys in there, whether it was Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, Isaiah Dunn, a lot of guys who really shouldn't have been starting the NFL. You pair Sauce Gardner, who was 6'3", he can run, you give a touchdown in college, is incredible. Put him with DJ Reed, they signed from Seattle on the outside. The secondary is a lot better. The best part of this, Joe Douglas you know, ended the draft. He had the two second round picks. He got the extra on the San Darnold trade. Used his ammo. He got back in the first round and grabbed sliding Jermaine Johnson, giving the Jets that edge rush they desperately needed. There were reports prior to the draft. Just think of taking him at 10, maybe even his highest number four. Joe Douglas said after the draft that they got three of their top eight guys on their board. That is amazing. That's incredible value. That's the kind of draft that can really change a franchise. Day two, they trade up a couple of slots. They trade up with the Giants, actually. They get Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State. One of the most talented running backs in the group. Probably the best on the board. And gives them a weapon back there to pair with Michael Carter. And you're doing a lot of good stuff there. They get another tight end in the third round with Jeremy Ruckert. They have two tight ends already with Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama. But Ruckert can develop and be a starter in a year or two. The Jets have done everything right. To help out Zach Wilson. He has a strong offensive line. He has plenty of weapons. He has an innovative coaching staff. This is literally the exact opposite of how the Jets handle Sam Darnold. After three years, the Jets did not know whether Sam Darnold was the guy or not because they could not put him in a winning environment. The line was bad. There were games he was throwing to Andre Roberts and Jermaine Curse. The coaching staff was questionable. You couldn't tell. Was it Darnold's fault or the Jets' fault? That's sort of happening right now in Chicago, Justin Wilson, Justin Fields, where you're saying, okay, is this Justin Fields' fault or the Bears' fault he has developed? That won't happen here. Zach Wilson has everything he needs to succeed on his own merits. If he fails, it's because he failed, not the Jets. So the Jets have done a good job here. Also, I give some credit to Joe Douglas here because there are tweets going around here. If you take a look at the depth chart basically at the end of the 2020 season when they lose to the Patriots in week 17 compared to what it is now. He basically has turned over the entire roster in two years, which is absolutely incredible. The Jets are a lot better position. We have to see what happens to them. We will go ahead now. We'll take a deeper dive into the draft. We'll be joined by fan size Matt Verderam right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, recapping the NFL draft. Joining me today, fan size NFL insider, friend of the podcast, Matt Verderam is here. Matt, how are you? Doing great, Mike. How are you? Doing good. And I want to start out here. It's definitely an unusual NFL draft because we entered without the top quarterback, a ton of big names on here. But I felt like it was a lot of fun. What did you think about the draft as a whole? 
I thought the draft as a whole was, was really interesting. You had a record number of trades in the first round. You had A.J. Brown get traded. You had Hollywood Brown get traded. Um, you know, that was all in the first 25 picks. You had teams moving up, moving down, and the Lions traded way up. You got Jameson Williams to go to Aiden Hutchinson, which well, I think they gave up a lot. But at the same point, I also think we have the best receiver in the draft, certainly at least the most explosive. Um, and they, they desperately need upgrades. Uh, you know, I, I obviously only one quarterback in the first 70 picks, which uh, that, I'd have to go back and look, but that, that has to be the first time that's happened in decades. So, um, I thought all told a really interesting draft, a really unique draft. Um, and, and one that I, I think a lot of teams really walked away probably feeling pretty good about what they, what they got. Yeah. So a couple of days I want to spin off of that. I'll start at the top there with the Jaguars who had the number one pick. They did not take Aiden Hudson. They, Took Trayvon Walker, who I saw a lot of big boards about, like the eighth or ninth best prospect. Jacksonville clearly thinks they can coach him up. He had only nine and a half career sacks in college. What do you think about the pick they made there at the top? You know, Trayvon Walker's an interesting guy. Played in that great Georgia defense, just won a national title. I think um, the upside is clear. Uh, his talent is undeniable. That being said, I, I think it was a reach. Um, Aiden Hutchinson tested athletically as well as Walker did and had 14 sacks last year in Michigan. Uh, which is almost more Saxon than Walker had his entire career at Georgia. I think it's I think it's a very risky thing. Look, maybe Walker goes there and he's great and he pans out. And hopefully he does. Um, but I think if you're Jackson, you pick two years in a row at number one for a reason. You need sure things. You need guys who are going to come in there and really you're taking the least amount of a gamble that, at, at, at all possible. And while there's no sure thing, in the draft, I would say that Hutchinson is a safer bet than Trayvon Walker. Um, I, I look. I think Thibodeau is a better pick, quite honestly, than Trayvon Walker. So we'll see. Could be wrong. Trayvon Walker might be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but it feels like Jacksonville making a big bet when they really didn't have to to cash in. Yeah, for sure. And you also mentioned the quarterbacks at the top here. Kenny Pickett went twenty of the Steelers. He only won the first seventy picks. I feel like. A lot of the NFL teams learned that this is not a great class. You don't have to reach for the quarterbacks here. I do think it was interesting that some of these guys landed later on, like you get Leek Willis in Tennessee, Desmond Ritter in Atlanta, Matt Corral going all the way down the late third round of the Panthers here. Like, what do you think about where some of these quarterbacks landed and like the value that these teams got by waiting for them? Yeah. Look, you know, it's interesting. So Kenny Pickett, like you said, Michael, he goes 20. Um, I have a hard time squaring the idea that he's 53 picks better than any other quarterback in this draft. Um, every other team said, we're good on quarterbacks until 74 came around when Tennessee, or excuse me, not when Tennessee, when, uh, when Atlanta took Stephen Riddle. And that makes me think, like, was Kenny Pickett really 53 picks better than anybody else? Like, or should he have gone a heck of a lot further back than he did? Because if you watch the film, I was down at Mobile, that's Combine. The guy's nothing against Kenny Pickett. Very nice kid, but you're going to tell me that a five-year guy at Pittsburgh who only had one good season, that he was worth a top-20 pick when guys like Willis and Ritter and Corral don't go to the third round, Howell doesn't go to the fifth round, Carson Strong and get drafted, ends up signing a draft with the Eagles. Um, I have a hard time squaring that. I I don't think that's reality, and I think the Steelers, to me, are a unique situation for a team that Kevin Colbert is, is getting ready to walk out the door as a GM. You have a team that is desperate for a quarterback. Pickett went to the University of Pittsburgh. Like if Pickett went to Wake Forest, is he the number twenty pick? I I don't know that he is. I think the Steelers really reached on a guy who is probably the most ready to start right now. 
um, of those quarterbacks, but the upside just not there. I mean, I best case scenario is Andy Dalton. Which look, Andy Dalton had a decent NFL career, certainly a career that is you know, notable, but not a career that you look at and go, yeah, that's what I want out of a top twenty pick because you're not going to win a Super Bowl with that guy, and that's the whole point. Um, I thought of all the quarterbacks going into it, I thought Malik Willis had the best upside by a wide margin. The most talented kid, big arm, great athleticism, super smart, really good, really good, you know, just a, a personality trait. I think he'll fit in a locker room well. I haven't spoken to him a few times. And for him to go 86, I think that's a great pick for Tennessee. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but at 86, I mean, that flyer is worth it all day and, and twice on Sunday. At that point, if it doesn't work out, fine. If it does work out, you just got yourself a guy who maybe in a year or two steps in for Tannehill and takes over. Um, so I love the Willis pick, and I like the Ritter pick as well. I, I think at that point, Ritter, Corral, the only thing with Corral is Carolina had to trade a third-round pick next year to get into his pick uh, and take Corral this year. And it just feels like Carolina is just throwing bad money after bad money. Like At some point, you gotta, you got to actually have a plan. I feel like Carolina didn't really have a plan, kind of panicked there in the mid-round. Yeah, for sure. And the big shakeup, obviously, in the first round is two wide receiver trades. A.J. Brown going to the Eagles. Hollywood Brown getting traded out to the Cardinals for the 23rd pick, which the Ravens later flipped back a couple spots to get Tyler Linder bound. But what do you think about those two trades? So, you know, I thought it was interesting watching those, those trades go down because with Marquise Brown, it's a weird deal to break uh, apart because when you look at it, I think the Cardinals gave up a ridiculous amount for Hollywood Brown. Like you said, one good year. He's been hurt. He's had drop issues. I, I, I get the upside of it. You know, he was in a run first offense. Maybe the Cardinals say, look, in our offense, they'll go for 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. And if he does, then okay. It's not a bad trade. Um, but he has not proven to me that he's worth the first round pick. Now, the flip side of that is um, the, the Ravens are getting great value, but they're also losing their only notable receiver. I mean, yes, they have Mark Andrews is an all-pro tight end and a great player. They have nobody on the outside. I mean, they don't have one guy on the outside who you even know if you're a casual fan. They are going to have to find ways to manufacture off and skin. It's going to be Rashad Bateman. And it's going to be a host of other guys like Devin DuVernay. And I just, I look at Baltimore and I love their draft. Of any team in the league, I probably thought they had the best draft. Right, but I, I think you're going to run into another situation where you're going to be sitting there if you're Baltimore. It's going to be January and you can't throw the ball because you have nowhere to go. You're going to play good teams. It'll double Andrews, take them out of the game, and you're just going to be stuck again with the same problem they've had for five years. It feels like so. Um, on the other side, the AJ Brown trade. Look, I kind of feel the same way. I just reeled off about Baltimore, about the Titans. Like I, lo- I like Traylon Burks a lot. And maybe he can do a pretty good imitation of A.J. Brown. But, like, again, you're a team that was number one in the AFC last year. You're a top seed. Didn't win a playoff game. Well, why? You had nine sacks you scored 16 points. Like, you should be trying to build up that offense any way possible. And instead, okay, they got rid of Julio Jones. Fine, that didn't work out last year anyway. They bring in Traylon Burks, who's a rookie. They bring in Robert Woods, who's a talented guy, but coming off the torn ACL. And then you get rid of A.J. Brown. You added nobody in free agency who was good of note. Like, I look at that offense and say, you're relying on 28-year-old Derrick Henry, who had a foot injury that kept him out of 10 games last year. And you're hoping that this is going to be enough, along with a recovering Robert Woods and a rookie, to stave off an improved Indianapolis team. And then all these other teams in the AFC 
who are all better than them at this point. I mean, I, I don't even know if Tennessee's going to make the playoffs based off what that conference looks like. So, uh, for the Eagles, it's a home run. They are going to be able to compete right now in the NFC. I said I thought Baltimore had the best draft. I thought Philly had the second best draft. I, I thought Philadelphia, Jordan Davis, you didn't trade for A.J. Brown, but then they get N'Kobe Dean in the third round. N'Kobe Dean might have been the 15th best player in the draft. I think he's got the peck issue. I mean, it's not like we're talking about some injury that's going to keep him out for his career. So, I love I love the Philadelphia. I think Howie Rosen is underrated perennially. Did a great job. They'll go to a pitch again next year. Um, I think the Eagles fans should be thrilled about the direction of the team. I think they're going to compete for that division in the NFC. Absolutely. Speaking of the NFC, he's still got the Giants here. Joe Shane has his first draft. He takes Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal in the first round. Trades him a little bit in the later in the rounds. Gets some bunch of picks here. What do you think about the Giants did here? Yeah, you know, as the, as the things went on, I, I wasn't in love with their later picks, like Wondell Rob, some of these other guys, but the first two picks for me make it a top five class alone. So you get Thibodeau and Neal, you could make an argument. And I don't know that I would, but you could make the argument. Those are two most talented players in all draft. I mean, Thibodeau, a lot of people assume throughout much of the college football season, he's going to be a number one overall pick. And Evan Neal, a lot of people thought he was going to be a number one overall pick throughout portions of the pre-draft process. And you get him five... But the Giants have to find out once and for all Daniel Jones what he is. I think I know what he is. I think he's a guy. But, uh, you know, ownership wants to find out for sure. Well, they provided him now with an elite tackle prospect, um, a line that is significantly better. Defensively, Thibodeau should be a guy who can really speed up the other team's quarterback. So, look, it's a long build. It's a long process. This isn't going to get fixed overnight for the Giants. But, I like what they did. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Joe Shane's done an excellent job at this point. Uh, you know, shedding some dead wood off the cap. Gettleman I mean, left them in a brutal position. A brutal position. They have, they have very little talent, and they're capped out. I thought, really, they did a very nice job uh, building the way they did. And look, I, like I said earlier, I, I, I praised Baltimore, praised Philadelphia. I think the top five classes in the, in the league, at least for me, are those two teams both New York teams and in Kansas City. I thought those five teams walked away with just gobs of talent, and I thought the Giants did most of their heavy lifting in the first round. Yeah, and you brought the Jets up, too, and I feel like I live in the bizarre universe as a Jets fan, where we now we have everybody saying the Jets have one of the best drafts in the in the league, and you had the three first-round picks. Joe Douglas is basically turning the entire roster over in two years. Like, What do you think of what the Jets did in the draft? I thought the Jets nailed it. You know, look. It's much like the Giants, anytime you have multiple top 10 picks, which is pretty rare, you better hit on them. I mean, that's just the way it is. I think the Jets, you know, time will tell, but I think both teams did. The Jets walk away with Darrell Wilson, who looks to be a, a guy who's a really safe bet at receiver. You know, I, I think, you know, along with Jameson Williams and Drake London and Chris Allard, the guys, you know, you'd be really surprised being this. They're just, they're so talented. And in the case of Wilson, really polished. Um, I love that they traded back in for Jermaine Johnson, who some people thought the Jets would take a 10 and all the way down to 26. And, and Joe Douglas, good on him, being aggressive, had a couple second-round picks, used one of them to get up there. Uh, I thought it was well done by him. I thought he, he did a great job maneuvering the board. Uh, Johnson took and a half sacks here at Florida State. He's a powerhouse. And then also, of course, at four, they got Sauce Gardner, who, for my money, even though he's a second-quarter ticket, I think the best corner for that. Um, you get those three guys you should see immediate dividends on both sides of the ball. And again, you know, I've written this a lot. I might even say to you on the podcast last year, I thought the Jets last season really set up Dak Wilson to fail. They go out and they get him. But they bring in a first-time head coach who's a defensive 
minded coach. They bring in a first time offensive coordinator. They did not bring in any backup quarterback with any experience whatsoever throwing a football in the NFL. I thought he really, other than them bringing Corey Davis, like it just felt like they did nothing to support him. This year, I feel the total opposite. The Jets went out, they got CJ Uzama in free agency, who I think is a very good tight end, very underrated player. They go out and they get Garrett Wilson. Obviously, Davis has come back. Hopefully, he's healthier this year. Um, you know, they, they built through the, then they get Brees Hall in the, in the second round, who might be the best running back in the class with the first round off the board at the position. Uh, the, the Jets went out and basically told Zach Wilson, look, we're not all the way there yet. Okay, offensive line still got to improve. Okay, fine. But they really built, and Zach Wilson was much better second half of the year. So I think the Jets really have positioned themselves to be a much improved team. Uh, and then defensively, look, they need to get better defensively. That's no secret. They add an edge rusher. They're getting Carl Lawson back this year after carrying it to kill me. So they should be a much better team. Now, are they going to you know, threaten for the division? No, probably not. I think Buffalo's best team in football. But could they, could they be a team that's playing meaningful games in November? Yeah, they could be. And for them, that would be a really big step after years and years of suffering. Yeah, absolutely. My last question is this. Obviously, you mentioned the five best classes you had earlier. Give me, like, your three worst draft classes. Who really screwed this draft up, in your opinion? You know, I think, I think New England really screwed the pooch on this one. I, I don't understand. Cole Strange at 30, and they're 29, rather. Excuse me. Cole Strange, they probably could have taken him in the second round where they picked. I don't, like, I don't know. It feels like such a reach, you know. Then they Taekwon Thornton at 50. When, when George Pickens and Sky Moore are still there, normally I'd say, well, it's Belichick giving the benefit of the doubt. I, I can't. He is not drafted well in recent years. The last time Belichick drafted a first-team all-pro player who was our offensive defense, because there was a couple special teamers mixed in, although one of them is Braxton Berrios, who did it for the Jets. Um, the last time he drafted an all-pro player on either side of the ball, 2012, Chandler Jones. I mean, they, they have drafted atrociously over the years. Now, to be fair, They've drafted some very good players in that time, guys like Joe Tooney and Jack Mason, guys who didn't rise to a first team all pro level. But over the last five years, you go on with these drafts, nobody. I mean, they haven't even drafted guys like, oh, that guy's a, a plus starter. And they certainly haven't drafted any receivers who are worth talking about in forever. So I thought the Patriots really struggled. I, I like the Steelers draft day two on, but that pick of Kenny Pickett to me just. That reach of desperation. The reach of a team that just felt like it was pigeonholed and cornered. It took a quarterback. If he pans out, I'll keep my word. Then I think it'll actually be a pretty good draft. But I just don't like that pick. And then last I'd have to say the Saints. Um, they, I like the players. Like, I like Chris Olave. I like Trevor Penny. But if you go and do the math, they gave up a fortune between the trades of Washington and Philadelphia to get Chris Olave. And it's like, you're not a player away. I know they seem to think they are. You're not a player. Well, you're not even close. I thought it was very bizarre. And the last I'll throw in there real quick, which actually it was a, a far bigger disaster than the Saints or the Steelers, or Chicago. You just can't walk out of that draft without some offensive upgrades. You can't do it. And, and I mentioned how I thought the Jets set up Zach Wilson to fail last year, but this year to be opposite. The Bears have just set Justin Fields up to fail. That kid has no chance. They can't block. And you and me are going to be playing receiver here for them next year. <laughs> Like, I mean, you can, and, and the thing that kills me is if he fails and he stinks this year statistically, people are going to pile on him and go, well, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. 
How could you ever know if he's the guy? He's going to Darnell Mooney as his number one receiver, and he's literally no block. And that's how you're going to try to figure out if this kid can play? I can't stand when teams do that. And if I'm Justin Fields, I'm sitting there going, I have no shot. I have no shot. You've got a defensive-minded head coach, first-year head coach, much like the Jets did last year. There's brand-new staff, and you have nobody around you. Absolutely nobody. It, it's going to be a very long year in Chicago. Yeah, I certainly will, Matt. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, be a follow social and keep up with our NFL coverage over fan-sided. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, uh, best in the business, uh, guys like yourself and many other writers we have who provide top-notch coverage. Um, go to fanside.com if you just want to read the NFL, backslash NFL. But really, you should check out everything, um, you know, cover all sports. And then, uh, listen, uh, on Twitter, if you want to follow along with me, I'm on their way to Austin anyway. Sad Matt Verderam, D-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. Um, where I'll be tweeting out all the links, including my weekly Stack the Box column that goes up every Monday morning. Yep, make sure you check out the Stacking Box podcast, too. Matt does that every week as well. Matt, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot. The Two-Minute Drill. All right, two-minute drill time. I want to go a little pop culture sports-related here. And I feel like if you like sports-related, like, entertainment properties, the team you're watching this year is the Showtime Lakers because we've already... Talked a little about winning time, the HBO dramatization of the rise of the Showtime Lakers. And it's wildly entertaining. I love it. We'll talk about the finale next week. Highly controversial. Every key Laker involved with the Showtime era seems to hate the project. Jerry West is threatening to sue the Supreme Court to get them to retract his his character's portrayal, whether basically make him look like a raging alcoholic with mental issues. We have gotten, though, another thing. You're not an actual drama series, but a documentary on Magic Johnson from Apple TV+. Plus. It's a four-episode series. It's called They Call Me Magic. It goes over the life of Magic Johnson, basically from when he arrives in L.A. in 1979 through the present day. If you're watching Winning Time as well, you're getting some of this story here. The stuff the Lakers is fun. Help he fills in the gaps. Helps they have pretty much everybody relevant to the NBA of the time in this thing that you want. They have Kareem. They have Jerry West. They have Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Pat Riley. Like anybody you could really want who's still alive, they have, which is amazing. But to me, the best part of the docuseries is the back two episodes, which basically all takes place after Magic Johnson's HIV diagnosis in 1991. They really get you more into the raw emotion of the moments, the landscape of the country at the time and you get a lot of things you don't usually get with magic who very carefully or maintains public image as sort of this happy go lucky guy he's always smiling he's got the charisma the big laugh you get sides of magic you don't usually see in public i think the most interesting part of the whole documentary is his relationship with his son ej who came out publicly in 2013 as a gay man it's notable because in the documentary, Magic does not hide the fact that when he first found out, which obviously was well before 2013, that he was not happy with EJ's sexual orientation. Later on, he ended up realizing, you know what? Like, I have to do right by my son. Like, it's not on EJ to change. I have to change for EJ. And I think seeing that evolution of the relationship, seeing how it's gotten to where it is now, I think it's a lot of fun for sure. Note here, this is a documentary. There is heavy involvement with Magic Johnson himself. 
So you get all the best of Magic Johnson. You're not going to get all the worst. He doesn't acknowledge some flaws, but if you're looking for the winning time characterization of Magic Johnson, you're not getting it here. There's enough stuff here, I think, to make it worth your while. It's four episodes, each about an hour, so you can binge it in a day, you're done. If you're checking out Winning Time and you're watching the show and you want more on Magic, because, again, the show is still stuck in the 1979-80 season, this is a good kind of piece for you to sort of fill out the story and give you all the facts. And with that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank Matt Verderan for hopping on the podcast to recap the NFL draft. A lot of funds there. You are going to stuff like my podcast, including my look at some primetime predictions for the NFL 2022 schedule, where you got one of those games on draft night. We will have the full thing coming out on May 12th. If you want the predictions I have right now, check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also check out the Sky Guys podcast. The Obi-Wan Cut series is coming to a close. Episode 3 of the Obi-Wan Cut will cover Revenge of the Sith. That's coming out on Wednesday. Celebrate Star Wars Day, May the 4th. You want to check out the Sky Guys podcast. Check out all your favorite podcast platforms. You get to the top of the podcast. You'll find the Sky Guys there. Search for the Sky Guys podcast in those podcast platforms as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Three, three, one. Coming up next week, we can go to the ice here. Rangers are in the playoffs. Talk about that. They'll cover winning times as mentioned and more. Until they have a better week than Red fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.